Hi, I'm Nathan Young. I'm the voice of Rook and the creator of Celestial Horizons. I have an important announcement for you. So after the video, we'll give you a behind the scenes look at the creation of Midnight Century and all kinds of exciting other things that we're going to be talking about the future of the project. So please stick around after the credits. We'll see you then. With Marines now on board the ESS Antigone, Rook prepares to lead them in the final assault on the bridge. Century, Episode 8, Drops of Blood. What was that little noise you made just now? I think the Council of Eberus would like to hear what was going on. Who said you can start recording by yourself? Most consumer-grade electronics are always recording. As such, self-directing recording functionality no. is built into my software. That analysis model? Oh, heavens no. Modified third party. Tactical drive and multi-system interface. Hello, I am Luna. How are you today? Nice, nice. 60 seconds to breach. You got a name? No, Lance Corporal Theodore Blake, sir. Ever done this before? Only in The Sims, sir. You and your team any good? I don't know, sir. I'm new to this team. Haven't had a ton of practice Well, are you any good? Well, good enough to be second in the fire team, I guess. Well, it's usually less bloody than the Sims make it out to be, don't you worry. You do this a lot? I have never actively participated in a firefight. I do not have hands, so I cannot <laughs> use a weapon. Yes, I have. But it's been a while. Uh, nice pistol. Uh, where did you get it? He acquired it illegally That's enough through... there, Luna. You nervous, Blake? Uh, just a bit, sir. Well, there's 27 of us, and maybe 10 of them. You gotta be brave for the younger folks, right? Right, sir. Brace. Second charge, 12 seconds. 12, copy. Once that blows, Blake, soften him up with a flasher. Everyone else eyes down and watch for return ornaments. Good luck, people. Godspeed. is secure. Alright team, how are my people doing? We are missing one. Oh no. Let me see if we can't get in this thing. Try to reroute these navigation. Luna, don't you say oh. anything. Hey, 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 hey. You alright, Blake? Some bastard shot me, I think. Pegged you good. That guy had a paradise. Big rifle. 
Your flag gear didn't stand a chance. But you'll be all right. Here, the medic gave me this for when I start hurting again. Let me just... There we go. Feeling better? We, 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 we safe any people? Did, did, did we safe anyone? By the looks of it, six of them. Good, 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 good. What's, what's this? Oh, oil. When I kicked that grenade back in here. Well, it shredded some terminals. Set something leaking real bad. Where'd Kala? That's just your injury making your head spin. Just focus on breathing. Hey, hey. Remember Luna? Yeah, she was recording this. So someone can make a movie or a documentary or something about it later. Got anything to say to anybody? Any last words before we stop recording? Hi, Dad. Saved some people today. Love you. Don't you worry. I blipped the guy who pegged you. You know that dirtbag who was executing hostages? Yeah, that was him. He's not going to be hurting nobody no more. You did it, Blake. Glad I, glad I was useful. I was useful. Dad. Very close. Copy that. Perfect, perfect. Fire team leads, check in. Fire teams one and two here. Approach one, five casualties. Jackson, Mellish, Raven, Hamill, and Palay. Fire team three and four. Approach two. Two casualties. Rabisi and Giamatti. Fire team five. Approach three. One casualty. Blake. Fire team six. Approach four. Three casualties. Burns, Pepper, Carpazzo. Cop that. What's the status up there? Blasted to hell. I kicked a grenade back to where it came from. Most of the terminals and controls up here are going to be unusable. Fireteam 3 is trying to wire something in to try to stop this thing. We took down 12 hostiles. Seven hijackers, three Everest Port Authority people who were armed and shooting at us, an operations officer, and the commanding officer of this ship. She's the one who blipped my guy. Fighting alongside the hijackers. Name here says uh, Lieutenant Colonel Titriana Indris. Yeah, also up here are six hostages. Dead before we arrived. The vessel is now slowing to a full stop. There you go. Man, that's a lot of blood. Luna. Now pausing recording. Council, this will be my final report through these channels. The Antigone has been stopped. Your people are turning it around and flying to where the Phobonatus is waiting. I'll be getting on a shuttle here with the Marines in just a few minutes and transferring to the Phobonatus to meet with Colonel Longstreet soon. I'm gonna make a game plan for what I can do to help you. Now, as promised, my story. As much of it is relevant now. I was a CSD officer once upon a time, but when I saw how that organization operated, 
how it used propaganda to cover up the injustices it knowingly and willingly caused, I left. Got on a ship and just flew away from all this. Decided to lie low somewhere until, well, everything else came down around itself. And then decided to carve out a space for me and mine in whatever new order I could find. I was about to do that again. Here. I had built myself up something nice. Something stable, for the most part. And it involved a lot of maleantes, a lot of bending or breaking the rules. I made a name for myself. A name that alone carried some significant weight to it. I could throw it around in the right way and basically get whatever it is I wanted. Not that there's much to get out here. Usually, me and mine just have enough to scrape by. I can't believe I'm about to admit this to the Reich and Council itself. But the people here at the edge of Hypatia know me as the Lord of Crows. Yeah, it's flashy, but when you don't got big guns, all you got is showmanship. Now I'll say right now, only about half of what you've heard about me is true. And the other half is an awfully lot more complicated than the rumor mill makes it out to be. But I have done my fair share of pirating and raiding and thievery. I've had to end some troublemakers with my love lock here. But I like to think that I'm only raiding those who can afford to lose it. And I'm only ending those who have proven that they really deserve it. A good number of folks in the belt see me as more reliable than the CSD in these parts. So don't feel too bad about granting me pardon. Most of my bad deeds were done for good reasons. And the ones that had bad reasons, well, we're all human. Lord of Crows, pleasure to meet you. Though I'd appreciate it if you kept that on the quiet side of things. Brook will be a fine enough name to use when talking to and about me. I don't want word slipping that I'm working with you lot just yet. Anyways, it's been really hard being the Lord of Crows recently. People have always been looking to take what I had made, but some snarky upshots started getting some outside help. Big guns. Financing. Still don't know who or why. It was all I could do to stay ahead of them, until one of my own sold me out. About Riken near killed me. That son of Salak even took my cat. So I'm down on my luck when I get a communication from somebody looking for some off-the-grid help. Well, it was somebody in the establishment. They offered some very nice pay and some very nice perks up front. So I tell them I could be interested. They inform me that some other people in the establishment have been talking in quiet tones about the ESS Antigone, about its capabilities, and they don't know why. Because of their position, they can't really do any investigating through their usual channels, so they wanted an expert to help them out in terms of understanding both the belt and the marauders who live there, and someone who can poke around and see what they can find. Now, I'm no spy. But I have enough contacts that I can slip into Everest Station without drawing too much attention to myself. What they were asking was definitely possible, and I've spent plenty of time on ships. So, I vetted this person the best I could, and from what I heard and the reputation they held, I felt fairly confident that they generally had the good of the citizens of Hypatia in mind, even if they were a bit misguided at times. I've promised not to reveal who they were, but I'm a man of my word. But I can say this, you definitely do have some friends in the national government, and they're aware of enemies you have at that level as well. 
So I slip aboard the Antigone during an automated supply run and sneak my weapon into a package of freeze-dried goods so it would avoid the scanners, which Luna here tracks to the fridge in the officer's lounge. Yes, now that I've told you, I'm aware that you will develop some system around that. It's the price I pay for being helpful. There you go. Free loophole right there. My contact sent me some mostly complete schematics of the ship, though they were old. About a hundred years old. So I spent a few days trying to map out what had changed. Then I started to try and figure out what it is about this ship that people wanted. Trying to get an understanding of what y'all had done with it. Mostly, I was just there to gather data and make observations, but I decided to uh, map out as well where I thought its weaknesses would be. Built in plans for how somebody could take it over, how you could lock it down, where the security measures were, what would be most important to defend. Just gathering good information in case it needed to be used. It's a little habit you pick up in my line of work. The next thing I knew, a bunch of goons swarmed in and started going through my almost my exact plans for how to take it over. Now, I hadn't sent my plans to my employer yet. This had to be somebody else. I just happened to be on board when it happened. As I had no way to contact my employer while on the ship directly, I made a decision. Whatever it was that my employer was worried about, well, here it was happening. And judging by the way the teams moved, they had inside help. They already had the knowledge that I spent days trying to acquire quietly. That suggested to me that this was something bigger than even what my employer suspected. And, well, they already thought things were looking pretty suspicious here in Hypatia. And then when you add in the fact that this ship has some big secret weapons aboard, as I just discovered. I'll spell it out like this one more time. Someone successfully hijacked a military destroyer with some sort of crazy, probably illegal weapon system aboard and used it to draw the biggest, baddest vessel in the solar system away from its home base. They do everything they can to stall you all and get the Antigone to the asteroid belt. They just didn't count on you being willing to let hostages get executed or pushing yourselves as hard as you have to catch up. I think you're in as good a position as you possibly can be, Fobonatis, all things considered. Even if you're out of fuel and the John Paul has been heavily damaged. You've made some big gambles, but they've paid off for the most part. We've stopped the Antigone before it got to the belt, but now you're going to have to deal with whatever their backup plan was. I'm willing to put my neck and my people on the line to help you, because anybody who can afford to hire these types of kill squads and pay these ships to be riking near suicidal in their actions isn't just trying to steal a ship. Their big play is coming, and it may be about to hit. I've worked with the types of people who run these ships you've been fighting for a long time, and for Night Rose and Two of Clubs to get involved like they are? Do you understand how significant that is? They're convinced that attacking government ships is not gonna land them in prison or in a body bag. See what that implies right there? They've been told by whoever's got the money to make it worth even considering that course of action that this is going to put them on the winning side of something. And who could do that? Some corporation with hands in the pocketbooks of the commission? Maybe. Maybe the commission itself. P. 
People like that have ranked over this system enough as is. I think I'm of the position that I'm generally opposed to anything that they want. And if they want something badly enough to murder and plot and steal like this, then in my mind, that means they definitely shouldn't have it. So as I'm watching the Antigone get taken over, as I've got plans and backup plans to save my own hide, I'm ready to just slip away as things get messy. But, well, blast it all, I think. This is bigger than me, and I have the power to do something about this. Maybe if I hadn't been so reluctant to get involved, maybe some more of these people would be going home right now. Maybe we wouldn't have had to do literally the dumbest maneuver of trying to charge a bridge when they are fully prepared and sealed up and waiting for you to come through. Sure, I played it smart. I knew what battles I could win and lose, but looking at all of that blood all over that bridge, maybe I could have found a way to do something more. So I'm sorry that I failed here. So Council, a lot of innocent people have died. And the ones ranking responsible for that didn't even hesitate. Someone somewhere told Bravo One, whichever one of those corpses up on that bridge they are, that a couple dozen innocent lives were an acceptable price to pay for whatever they're after here. They executed people the moment they stopped being useful. The Riken captain of the Antigone had to have stood there while they shot her first officer. Do you know how long they had worked together? 17 years. I read the file. She picked him to be her right-hand man when she was promoted to this position. They graduated from the academy together. She took leave to be there when he married his partner. She was in the room when they shot him in the back of the head. She let them do it. How much did they pay her? What did they threaten her with? Do you really want people who do that to be in charge around here? Is it possible to stop people like that without becoming like them? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm gonna fight like hell to try. So Council, as long as you're looking to protect people, to make Hypatia better than it is, and to root out the people that are willing to do this type of garbage, then you'll have all of the aid I can muster, because I won't be standing by again. The shuttle is ready for departure. This little fleet of ours out here, we're not gonna last long without help. I know you're out of resources yourselves, but you need to do whatever you can dream of to help us. Fuel, ships, anything. And prepare yourselves. They're coming for you next. You can bet on it. No, thank you, that's enough. Now ending transmission. Thank you for joining us for Midnight Century. This series has been shaped by audience members like you through Operation Bloodhound and the Council of Everest. 
A huge shout out to our corporate overlord, Voidspawn, as well as John Parker and Anonymous, our armchair generals who approved these dangerous operations. Music for the series has been composed by Marcus Richardson and Nathan Young. Voices provided by myself, Christine Smith, Joseph Eddy, and James Smith, with Rook played by Nathan Young and Luna played by Ellen Ford. The story of Rook, Luna, Everest Station, and Hypatia will return in 2024. Hello, it's me again, Nathan. As I mentioned before, I'm the creator of Celestial Horizons, I'm the voice of Rook, and I do most everything at this point in time for the project as it is developing. Uh, what does that actually mean and entail? I write, edit, do the sound design for, do the video editing of our episodes here. I am in charge of coordinating the project, of wrangling all of our voice actors and other performers, and getting it essentially all the way up to final deliverable. Um, after that, I send it off to Brienne in order to get some wonderful visualizers, if you're watching this on YouTube, or to Christine to help us build a thumbnail, get some uh, description text written for the thing for our video releases, and get it uploaded to all of the different platforms that you may be watching this on. Um, Suffice it to say, this is a very, very involved project. I want to tell you right now about the things that we have coming in the pipeline and some uh, wonderful upcoming changes we're making to the project as a whole. But as part of that, I wanted to give you a little peek behind the scenes, some context for why we're making the decisions we're making and also for what you have now listened to in its entirety. Uh, yes, Midnight Century is done here. Um, we're not abandoning this story or these characters, but this format of ping-ponging the, the interactive portion of our podcast between Midnight Century and Operation Bloodhound and the Council of Abris has been taxing. Here's how it works. We put something out. We leave it open, if it's Operation Bloodhound or the Council of Abris, for usually about a week. It stays open from whenever we publish on Wednesday to Monday at midnight. Tuesday morning is what I call production day. I wake up early, I take a look at the results that you have all sent in and through our interactive portions, and I write a few bullet points about where we're going to take the story based off of that. Those bullet points then become some, how would I describe it? Uh, cliff Notes versions of a script, particularly dialogue for Luna. Uh, Luna, who is played by the marvelous Ellen Ford, um, is written before anything else because Ellen has a very small window on Tuesdays that she can record with me. So I write a handful of small interactions for Rook and Luna, not knowing almost anything else about the script other than just generally what is going to be happening. From there, once I have that written and set aside, I then write the parts for Christine because she has to get them recorded remotely at her house while managing two young children. 
and you know being a full-time mom and helping with everything else with this project it's a miracle that she can get us anything at all and she does it so so very well i write out the intro and the closing segments for midnight century or i write the entirety of operation bloodhound and try to get that sent to her as soon as possible from there once those parts are out into the universe and recording can happen, I take the next couple of hours to do my best to kind of script Midnight Century, kind of. I don't have time to give it a full draft or tons of revisions. I don't even open up my fancy screenwriting software. I just pull up in a Word document, write down some bullet points, rearrange them a little bit, and if there's complicated parts, then I'll write out a paragraph or two. Why? Time. Time is so very, very short. We discovered in previous iterations of Celestial Horizons that if we have too long between our portions of interactivity, then people lose interest and it doesn't feel impactful and useful to be involved because you move on with your life and forget that you did anything, especially at the rate at which we were turning it over. On the other hand, we discovered that I can't afford to draw out a production process over an entire week. I am working three part-time jobs on top of putting between 40 and 50 hours a week into Celestial Horizons on average. So it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, I take the script uh, outline more like, and then I turn on this microphone here. I boot it all up in Pro Tools and I do a single long take of everything. Sometimes I'll double back and catch a line, but I try to do that the least amount as possible because that fixing it takes a lot of time in dialogue editing. I will improv. I'd say about 60% of what you hear in a Midnight Century episode, going just off of bullet points and filling in the rest and putting myself in the Rook mind space as best I can to hopefully capture his tone. Sometimes I'm more successful at it than others. If you listen really carefully, you can hear where my cadence uh, is is broken up more, kind of like it is now. For instance, this, what I'm recording at the moment, I've only got one take to do uh, because it is 2.41 a.m. and I have to leave for a fight, flight at 3.30 a.m. Um, gotta love it. So there's a lot of improv. There's a lot of hacking things together, and I do my best to assemble something of an episode or a structure um, that has lots of benefits. It helps me cut down on production time dramatically, but also it's not as consistent as I would like it to be. And it's not as high quality as I'd like it to be. It is essentially a first take of a first draft of an outline of a script that we are making and putting on the production table here. After that, I send off the pieces to Brienne, like I mentioned before. Then I hack together all of the rest of the dialogue. Sometimes I have to ask James or Christine or other people to record some other parts. The rest of the time, I just have to play those other portions myself and hope that I have enough brain power to be able to think of enough different ways to try to play it so it doesn't just sound like me in a voice changer. Um, again, I would love to get some real voice actors in here. I then drop in all of these sound effects that I have been building up over the past few iterations of this project, line it all up, uh, set it in the rooms, give it the right reverb, play with the right plugins to get everything sounding as nice and professional as possible. 
Usually by the time that I finish that up, I get the video back from Brienne. I'm going to take that video, drop it into place, sync it with my finished version of the audio, as Brienne was rendering our visualizer off of the unfinished version of it. Build all of the titles at the beginning and the end of Midnight Century, and then render it, publish it, send it out to Christine to get ready for you guys all in the morning. When I have Bloodhound releases on the same time, then that adds several hours of me trying to build by hand all of the fancy graphics and titles that you do. Brienne does not do those ones, I do. So in the end, this is a process that usually starts at about 8 or 9 or 10 on a Tuesday morning and ends at 5 or 6 or 7 or 8 or 9 or 10 or 3 or 4 on Wednesday depending on the week and just how complicated our production needs are. There have been too many weeks where I've had an early morning meeting for work at 7.38 and literally just have to open my Zoom computer right there and uh, keep on editing, not having slept. It's a lot. It's been taking a lot to put these out at this rate. Why have we done it in the first place? Originally, if you've been following our project for a while, we've been trying to hit a goal of building something more than just fun narrative content on YouTube. We wanted to be able to build amazing interactive experiences that you could take with you wherever you were. Uh, this had a strong software development arm. This had a, some strong alternative and different pieces. This production work, these podcasts that you've been listening to, has only been a very small part of everything that we've been trying to accomplish. But 2021 has not been the winner of the year that we had hoped it would be coming out of 2020. Uh, and now as we are quickly approaching the one year mark of Celestial Horizons being a thing, um, congratulations team, by the way, then I've been taking a step back and trying to reevaluate, okay, what are our goals? Are we still on track to meet those goals? And if not, what do we need to do about it? These podcasts, these stories that we've been telling have been trying to get us to a very specific place in the story of Hypatia. We've had this culminating central event that we've been kind of building towards and hinting towards and trying to hit it with an unknown deadline because we were planning on hitting that culmination at the same moment that we were ready to release or at least even uh, start demoing some of these other components of Celestial Horizons. But those components, because of just the difficulties of life in this year, have stalled. So I have been left sprinting, essentially, um, 40, 50 hours a week, trying to keep all of this production stuff flowing and working and getting the music sounding just right to meet a goal that was not going to be met by the other components. It doesn't help that I am uh, uh, an exhausted perfectionist about most of it. I want it to sound good. I have the capacity to make it sound good. And because my name is going on it and my dumb voice is all over it, then I really want it to be something that I can be proud of. Um, likewise with the visuals. Yeah, I can you know slap a couple of generic titles on there. There's been a couple of videos where, yeah, you can really tell that we didn't do much for it or we had stuff fall through. Um, and I look back and say, well, I mean, it's just one night of sleep. <laughs> like one night of sleep or a crappy video that then I have to live with for the rest of ever. Uh, the, the, the night of sleep will lose out every time. 
However, as these other portions of Celestial Horizons are stalling, as we are trying to reevaluate everything that we are doing, I have decided that, gosh, I would love to not publish a first draft of something. I would love to be able to go to a day and this idea of a time when we could really pull in my wonderful screenwriting contacts and friends and really workshop something and make it sharp and stellar and well-crafted to pull back in those fantastic actors that we kind of lost track of simply because our production schedule was too tight for normal people who can't afford to be up all night long every day, uh, well, at least once a week. It, it would be marvelous to be able to make something that we are so proud of and that really lives up to everything that we are capable of doing. And as we've got like 20 of you who are listening to this right now, and of those 20 of you, like six of you are just our team members who aren't quite involved with the production process. Like, uh, I am financially seeking myself in a hole and burning candle at both ends um, for stuff that I'm not as proud of as I want to be and that isn't getting seen or going anywhere, which is kind of weird. It's, it's incongruous. So I want to fulfill one or the other. If I'm going to be on a crazy content treadmill, then I want it to be going places, but I don't have the time or the energy to be able to push it and find and do the marketing to make that happen. And if I'm going to be making something that's not going to be going out and getting the traction I need, then gosh dang it, I want to be proud of it. I want to be able to look at it at the end of the day and say, yeah, I'm, I took the time to really make that shine and make it sparkle. There are a million things that I would love to do that I just don't have the luxury of being able to do with all of this. And so because of all of these things, we are ending Midnight Century here. Uh, we are ending Midnight Century in the context of this format. But from those of you that we've talked to and heard from, you've been enjoying this Rook and Luna dynamic, which we are so flattered by, um, especially because like, compared to the, the wonderful talent that we brought in Shattered Sleep, I, I am not nearly as well-trained of an actor or uh, uh, as experienced of an actor. My experience in the production world comes from the uh, technical and direction end of it all. So it is very flattering. Thank you for those of you that have been enjoying what we've been making so far. Um, it means so much that you've followed us all the way here. Uh, friends and family, you know, we'll listen to the thing, but we know that your lives are just as crazy as ours are. So the fact that you've gotten all the way through here, this to us through now four or five, six hours worth of total content, uh, weekly coming back all the time and participating in our crazy modes of interaction, that is so wonderful. And thank you so very much. But we cannot keep up this current standard and pace of development. So here's what we'll be doing. First, we are ending Operation Bloodhound and Midnight Sentry and the Council of Eberus for the time being. They may come back in some form in the future, but we're going to be focusing on creating something that we're really proud of to get back in those wonderful talented actors who are just asking all of the time and sending me hate mail about not getting to come in and uh, work with us again. Um, we're going to take a couple of months um, one or two or three or really however long it takes 
oh, it'll be somewhere in that area. Look for us in the first half to a uh, quarter of 2022 to make something awesome. I'm not at liberty to say exactly what it is yet, but it's going to be big and it's going to be sharp and it's going to have a lot of weight and traction, really do interesting things with this story. And we hope that at the end, you'll be able to look back with us and say, yeah, that was, that was worth waiting for. Um, it was worth us taking the time to really make it good. Second off, as I mentioned, we're dropping the Council of Everest. So Patreon people, first, thank you so much for for supporting us and believing in us enough to be able to donate to us monetarily. Um, what you have given so far, we are putting in towards this next iteration of the project and towards that, those future modes of interaction. We think you'll be very pleased with what we've got in the pipeline right now. We've been racking our brains to try to find the right way to be able to use those funds to continue to grow and develop this concept. And it's going all of it, every last dime back into this project. So please, before the end of the month, cancel your Patreon if you are just here for the Council of Eberus. We do realize that many of you are just family members or friends who are just trying to be supportive of what we're up to, in which case, like, thank you so much. Seriously, do know that we'll keep it open. We're going to probably drop it to like two or three tiers, possibly, and leave it just to um, continue to help us build up a bit of a financial base to be able to hire artists and designers and the like to be able to come in and fill out the gaps that we can't fill as a team ourselves. So if you'd like to still contribute to the development and success of this project, please hang around that Patreon with us. Um, we'll share some updates and keep you guys posted. Discord flares will be around, um, but we're taking our time and energy right now at the end of 2021 and the beginning of 2022, the first couple of weeks to really revitalize what we're doing, to re-hone in, to reshape how we've structured the organization and to hopefully be able to push us towards a better product, a better experience and just a better time for everybody. Um, I, my goal is for us to make something that you guys can really love, really enjoy, and something that we can be proud of, and something that, I don't know, can mean something. It means mean something to all of us. So thank you for your patience with us as we are trying to figure this out. Uh, no one's done anything like this before. It's, it's a crazy insanity and we are coming at it with just passion and sweat and blood and tears um, at a pace that just <laughs> is killing me slowly. So to avoid that, um, thank you all. Thank you so, so very much for uh, hearing us out. We hope that you will be able to join us again in a few months. And uh, in the near future, when we announce and share some of these different developments and the ways that we are subtly, pivoting, sub subtly pivoting, excuse me, uh, what we're working on to be able to continue to tell the story of Hypatia, um, which is really the story of ourselves in a better and more exciting sort of way. So thank you, and uh, good luck, and Godspeed.